Let us pray. Almighty Father and everlasting God, we want to thank you and bless you for who you are. And thank you that we can gather before your presence to give glory, honor, and adoration to you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy towards us. And at this time, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart, that they be acceptable to you. For we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So continuing from our Take Heart series, we come to First Peter chapter number 5, to the end of Peter's first letter to the church. And we know that Peter addressed this letter to the believers in northern part of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. It was addressed to a church that was struggling in the face of persecution. So Peter's address was to encourage them to endure and persevere in their faith and to remain strong despite their suffering. The tendency is always to give up when things are hard. But here, Peter was reminding them that the peace of God will be with them in all that they're going through. We know that a God that says he will never leave us nor forsake us. So from our reading, we see Peter giving instructions to elders of the church. Firstly, on how to shepherd God's flock. He does that because everything in the local church rises or falls with leadership. The leaders lead by serving the people of God. This is the way that Jesus did it. And this is the way that truly glorifies him. And then secondly, Peter was given instructions on how we, as a body of Christ, are to relate to one another, build relationships as a gathered community, and that's why we are called the church. And I was looking at this when um, David asked me to do this. And having considered it, and I found it was more like preaching to myself because of my future ministry. And I find that the words were cutting across to me as someone who's going to be a leader of a local church again. How do I react? How do I carry the people of God? How do I look after them? How do I serve them? So this passage is actually relevant to me, even as I hope it's going to be relevant to all of us. Why are we a church? We are a church because we are a community of people that is designed to work together, support and love one another, and constantly encourage each other in our discipleship and followership of Jesus Christ. The pandemic has made it clear that we are a church, not because we meet physically in a building, although that is needed and we want to get back to that, that place again. But with the building or without the building, we're still able to meet, albeit online. It is our gathering together in whatever shape or form 
that makes us a church. And we praise God that we are able to do that. And if we are to develop this community of love, then we all have a responsibility to make that happen. Firstly, by supporting the leadership of the church to do their work faithfully so that they can be good shepherds. And secondly, by encouraging one another that we may live up our faith in God. So we see Peter here giving instructions on how to fulfill both of these roles in the passage that we've just read. Let's start with Peter's instruction to support those in leadership. I want to read verse 1 and 2. Peter begins by addressing the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So here we see Peter reminding the elders of the church of their God-given responsibilities. We see that Peter has not even has not forgotten his own commissioning. You will recall at the Sea of Galilee when Jesus um, rose from the dead. He met them at the um, at the uh, Sea of Tiberias or Sea of Galilee. Um, in John twenty-one fifteen to eighteen, he says to them, especially to Peter. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. And the second time, he says to him, Peter, take care of my sheep. And the third time, he says to Peter, feed my sheep. So here is Peter, of whom much has been asked by Jesus Christ, now passing the baton on to his fellow elders. And it's really wonderful how God runs his church that he uses you and I as vessels in his house. That it allows us to share in his ministry. He sees us worthy to serve in his house. And of course, this is an enormous responsibility for any church leader to carry out and that's why the church leaders, the leadership, the elders, need our prayers. Because the flock of God has been given into the care of the ministers, the elders, and the leadership of the church. And it can only be done out of the right mind and motivation. And that is what Peter is focusing on here. Peter goes on to say, leaders are to lead not under compulsion, but willingly. You know, it's easy to lose the joy of ministry when times are tough. Sometimes in leadership, when we face battles at every turn, when there is misunderstanding, hostility, criticism, it's very, very easy for the a fire of passion to burn low or to go out altogether. As a result, some Christian leaders have left the ministry. Some have got bond out in ministry 
and some carry on day by day, going through the motions because they have to, because it's their job. So the leadership needs the support and the prayers of one and all. And Peter says to the leaders to lead willingly, not out of compulsion. He points out some of the dangers that the leaders, the elders, must avoid. The first, he says, not because you must, but because you are willing. In other words, it must come from the heart. When the leader has a pastor's heart, he loves the sheep and serves them because he wants to, not because he has to. And in our second reading, Isaiah 40 verse number 11 points us to the way that God looks after us, how he takes care of us, and how he wants us to take care of God's sheep. When he says he tends his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his hand, arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That is the picture that has been given to us on how the leaders are to carry God's people in tender, loving care. So leaders also have the responsibility to nurture their own private spirituality so that they can stay passionate and energetic for God in difficult times. Because it's easy to run out of that passion I talked about. But to stay energetic and passionate in the things of God needs the support of all to make that happen for the leadership. So those of us who follow have a responsibility to make life as easy as we possibly can by praying for them and to be helpful as much as possible so that the rigors of ministry do not overwhelm them. But there is a warning here to leaders when he says not to be greedy for money but either eager to serve. So it appears there are some who we are there were there for the perks of the office. They were in it for the money. And if that's the case, then that is an inappropriate motivation for Christian leadership. The leader needs to be aware of the dangers of getting involved in money-making schemes that will draw us away from the primary responsibility of the ministry that God has called uh, the leaders to do. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4, and he says that no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Leaders should lead with enthusiasm, ready and willing to serve. And that is what Peter was talking about. 
in verse 3, then he goes on and says that not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The contrast here is between dictatorship and leadership. Peter is saying, in other words, you cannot drive sheep. You must go before them. You must lead them. You must search out for the dangers. You must make sure that parts are okay for them to come through. And you must take care of them. That means that the leaders are not to exercise power for themselves, for their own ends, but rather to serve the people. They are to nurture the spirit of servanthood. That means developing an example in humility in their service. Remember Jesus our standard bearer, our example, said he came not to serve, but also to serve. The church needs leaders who serve and servants who lead. So as the leaders then lead by examples, we, the congregation, need to take that model upon ourselves and become even more dedicated and also be in the spirit of servanthood too. So the leaders carry a weight of responsibility, not only to look after the people, but also a responsibility to nurture their own spiritual lives. And we, as the congregation, have a responsibility to remember them regularly in our prayers. I talk so much about prayers because apart from him, we can do nothing. You'll be surprised to know that the prayer you make regularly, you make for here and now, then and also, every regular time that you probably may have scheduled, goes a long way in helping because of the anointing that comes from that prayer and the grace that comes from that prayer that will help the church leadership to move on and to serve you better. Peter continues that because of this act of being good examples, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will not fade away. He reminds us that there is reward in faithful service. When Jesus, the chief shepherd, returns, he alone is the one that will access our ministry and give a proper reward to each and every one of us. And he says that the crown of glory will be given to the righteous and it will not fade away. Surely, that must be a motivation for faithful service. More importantly, Peter knew that a fairy trial was about to hit the church. So he wanted the entire church membership to be prepared. So as he closed his letter, he gave the church three important admonitions to obey if they are to glorify God in this difficult experience. He said to them, be humble. 
He said to them, be watchful. I said to them, be hopeful even in the very trial that is about to hit you. That's number five, he says. Your men in the same way be submitted to those who are older. Here, Peter is not really contrasting those who are older or younger in age or perhaps the length of their time in ministry. But rather, he's saying to all of us, regardless of your position, regardless of age, regardless of your spiritual maturity, we must all be noted for the spiritual grace of humility. In fact, he goes on to say, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And he carries on because of how humility is required in the service of God. But number six, he says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He will lift you up in due time. Peter was saying to believers then and to us now to submit to God and to each other. It is only when we submit to God that we are able to submit to one another. It's only God that can give us that grace if we humble ourselves before him. Because submission is an act of faith. He goes on to assure us that eternal reward will be given as we submit and do his work. And because of our hope for the future, Peter is able to go on to say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Again, we are drawn to the saying of Jesus when in Matthew 6.25 he assured you and I of God's care. When he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink. Look at the birds of the air. Are you not more valuable than they? Does God's care for you and me for us all, is immense and cannot and cannot be stopped. Nothing will separate us from his love. He cares so much. And that's why he's invited you and I to cast our cares upon him. However, we must always reckon with the enemy in our midst, whom Peter reminds us of. In verse 8, he says, Be self-controlled and large. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter speaks of the opposition that all of us as Christians will face. We face as a church and we face as individuals, as families. And one reason why we have kids is because we have this enemy. Satan is dangerous enemy. He is a destroyer. I'm not bigging him up in a way, but we have to be careful. 
He said, as a serpent, as a serpent, Satan deceives. And as a lion, Satan devours. We must never underestimate his ability. Time will not allow me to speak about the um, weapons that he uses against the church. But such things like conflict and confusion over issues, stirred up emotions, loose tongues, discouraged workers, and more. And Peter says to us, the only response to the devil in verse 9 is to resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resisting means that we must take our stand on the word of God and refuse to be moved. Some of our defenses against him must be to be alert and watchful. We need to put up resistance, deal with any misunderstandings that we may have, any confusion, and anything else, reasonably. When we do that, he knows that he cannot penetrate the church of God. And he knows that he cannot destroy the church of God. Because God has given us assurance, he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell can never prevail over his people. Ephesians chapter 6 instructs us to stand. He says, after you must have done all, stand, stand in our faith. Keep on keeping on. Keep on doing what we're doing. Keep on gathering. Keep on believing. Keep on chasing after God that is well able to do it for all of us. So our weapons are the word of God and prayer. Our protection is the complete armor of God, which he has provided. We are called to resist him in faith, and that is our faith in God. So we must take our stand against Satan, and in the victorious name of Jesus, God is able to help us in all our infirmities. And because Peter is writing to a community of faith, he's saying that we need to continue to pray for one another. We need to continue to support one another. We need to encourage one another and to develop a sense of solidarity as we learn to resist the devil. Peter goes on to say that there is a universal conflict. So Christians all over the world, in all continents, are going through the same thing. They're going through the same battle. Then we fast forward to verse number 14 as I close. Finally, to complete his letter, Peter brings us back to one spiritual principle. 
that has underpinned his letter, that has underpinned the whole of the letter, the epistle that he wrote. And it's that of the blessing of peace. He says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. He opened the letter in 1 Peter 1-2 with a greeting of peace. So the whole entire episode points to God's peace in whatever situation we find ourselves. In turmoil, we have better be being buffeted by the enemy. Whatever we're going through, he's saying from the beginning to the end of this epistle that his peace will be with us. That we will find even in the midst of that trial, we will find his peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And what a wonderful way to end a letter that announced the coming of a fairy trial. I also say, peace to you all. Peace to you all. Amen.